shouldn't be this close to each other, Jack. If we blow up, we blow up. What was all that about back there, John? What was what about? You asked me to let you go. That's right. Now, that thing was taking you down the hole, and you asked it me to let you go. Hurt me. No, John, it was going to kill you. I seriously doubt that. Look, I need for you to... I need for you to explain to me what the hell's going on inside your head, John. I need to know why you believe that that thing wasn't going to... I believe that I was being tested. Tested? Yeah. Tested. I think that's why you and I don't see eye to eye sometimes, Jack. Because you're a man of science. Yeah. What does that make you? Me? Well, I'm a man of faith. Do you really think all this is an accident? That we, a group of strangers, survived? Many of us with just superficial injuries? You think we crashed on this place by coincidence? Especially this place? We were brought here for a purpose, for a reason, all of us. Each one of us was brought here for a reason brought here and who brought us here John the island the island brought us here this is no ordinary place you've seen that I know you have the island chose you too Jack it's destiny It is Pentecost Sunday, and like Ed said, Pentecost involves a lot of symbols. I can sort of keep from burning myself here. One of our symbols for the day is fire, tongues of fire. And one of the things that Luke is doing in telling the story, you know, that's a really dramatic flame, huh? I really wanted to get like sweet torches, and then I really couldn't justify what I would do with like torches after <laughs> Sunday. Like, eh, maybe I shouldn't spend $60 on torches, so you have this really intimidating flame here. <laughs> so one thing that Luke does, and as we've gone, if you've been with us for the last six weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts, and at this point we know that Luke is really into symbols. He's really into dramatic language, using things from uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew text, and trying to bring them into the modern uh, context of first century Judaism, right? So he uses, uh, like Ed said earlier, uh, tongues of fire, these sorts of images that uh, would have been familiar to uh, first century uh, Jewish people, especially in Jerusalem. In We've been watching clips for uh, probably four or five weeks now, and some of you may be thinking, why, like, does Ryan really love watching TV that much? Yes. Yes, I do. And I will work it in any way I can to watch even two more minutes of TV. But we do it for meaning-making. 
we do it for uh, equating symbols into our lives, uh, taking something ancient and bringing it into our own context. So you may think, oh, well, that's kind of you know silly, or having a clip of Sandlot or the OC, that seems to be fairly random. But it's an attempt to create images that we are familiar with, that are familiar within our culture, and bring them into our context. And that is exactly what Peter will do today on Pentecost. Okay. But before we get going, uh, let's just uh, pause for a moment of prayer. Empowering God, you gave the church the abiding presence of your Holy Spirit. Look upon your church today and hear our petition. Grant that, gathered and directed by your Spirit, we may confess Christ as Lord and combine our diverse gifts with a singular passion to continue your mission in this world until we join in eternal praise with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and it's been quite a wild ride. It's been eye-opening to me. I hope I've hoped you have enjoyed it, but every week we've found uh, Luke t- talking about and telling us an interesting story, usually uh, involving a miraculous event in the life of the early church. And remember, we had our silly map. We saw the journey that Paul and uh, you know Saul's conversion. So we've had Saul, Dorcas, Cornelius, Lydia, slave girl, and a Philippian jailer. All unexpected characters especially in a gospel narrative. We mentioned that uh, Luke in Acts, Luke Acts, uses the word spirit or Holy Spirit 160 times. So, you know, as like I like to call it, the Acts of the Apostles is the movement of the mysterious spirit, this mysterious spirit that guides the early disciples and that uh, Luke is trying to tell us is, is here, is guiding us today. This is a connection that we are making on Pentecost. And they are establishing uh, this koinonia. So 2,000 years later, we find ourselves on a Pentecost Sunday, much like the disciples find themselves on Pentecost uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. And we have, to, we have to figure out what does this mean for us, right? Because that's, that's really the crux. What does this mean? Um, and so I, I initially titled this sermon um, Where You Are because I feel like it's incredibly important to to know that the Spirit is finding us each today uh, where you are. Wherever you are, whether you're with walking pneumonia or whether you've just celebrated an anniversary, 39 years, Ed and Don, yeah? On Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit comes and meets you where you are immense of the stresses in life, the joys in life. It is where you are. But I'm calling an audible, and I want this sermon to be called, uh, What Does This Mean? Because there's a place in today's scripture where the skeptics will ask that very same question. What, what does this mean? Fire, tongues of fire, speaking in languages? What does this mean? So let's see if we can figure it out. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn with us. We're going to be in Acts 
2, 1 through 21 is the, lex- the main lectionary reading for today. It's our last week in Acts, guys. Shed a tear. It's been fun. So we've seen all that the Spirit has has done, and I think it's kind of fun that the lectionary does that. It, it takes us on this kind of wild journey, meeting all these interesting people all through Asia and, and present-day Europe, and now it takes us back, kind of like a movie in that way, where now we get to like reverse back and see how it all began. So when we pick up this story in Acts 2, this is what kicks off the journey. Acts 2, 1. When the day of Holy Pentecost came, 50 days after Passover, they were gathered together in one place. Picture yourself among the disciples. The sound roars from the sky without a warning. A roar of violent wind, and the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with the sound. Then a flame appears, dividing into smaller flames and spreading from one person to the next. All of the people present are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages that they've never spoken, as the Spirit empowers them. Because of the Holy Festival, there are devout Jews staying as pilgrims in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun. They hear the sound in the crowd that gathers. They are amazed because each of them can hear the group speaking in their native languages. They are shocked and amazed by what they are seeing. The pilgrims say, just a minute, aren't all of these people Galileans? How in the world do we hear our native languages being spoken? Look. There are Parthenians here, uh, people from Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, residents of Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygians, Pamphylians, Egyptians, Libyans, people from Cyrene, Romans, including uh, Jews by birth and converts, Cretans, Arabs. We're each in our own languages hearing these people talk about God's powerful deeds. Their amazement suddenly becomes confusion as they wonder, What does this mean? It doesn't mean anything, some skeptics say. They're drunk on some fresh wine. As the twelve stood together, Peter shouted to the crowd, Men of Judea and all who are here staying in Jerusalem, listen. I want you to understand, these people aren't drunk as you might think. Look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this isn't drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Hear what God says. In the last days I will offer my spirit to humanity as a libation. Your children will boldly speak the word of the Lord. Young warriors will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. And yes, in those days I shall offer my spirit to to all servants, both male and female. All will boldly speak my word. And in the heaven above and on the earth below I shall give signs of impending judgment blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become a void of darkness and the moon will become blood. And then on a great and dreadful day, the Lord will arise and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into God's freedom and peace. What another interesting, interesting story. So here we have this launching point. this, This journey that we've gone on for the last six weeks starts here in Jerusalem with this incredibly diverse crowd. And so, just to set the stage a little bit, Pentecost uh, essentially means 50th, 50th day, 50 days after Passover. Uh, For uh, the Jewish religion, it was a harvest festival. 
So um, think of like Mardi Gras, all right? It, it would have been a, a similar sort of thing to Mardi Gras, a big festival. Pilgrims from uh, all over, from Asia, from uh, parts of Europe, would gather in Jerusalem, uh, like they said, both Roman citizens, uh, Jewish converts, uh, people that were uh, ethnically born Jewish, everybody would gather in Jerusalem and have a festival, uh, a Mardi Gras-esque festival. All right. And then on the, and on this day, uh, you know, Peter and the disciples are there, and really weird stuff happens, right? Like Luke always says, something miraculous is, is working in, in and amongst the community here. So let's walk through this passage just a little bit because it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. And I think on first read, um, it just sounds like there are flames and there's wind and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But let's see if we can uh, dissect this a little bit. So when we're pictured among the uh, disciples, uh, a sound roars from the sky, a violent wind comes in. And what we've known from our study in Acts so far is that a wind equates to the spirit. So it's the same word, this pneuma, uh, spirit, wind. That is what Luke is trying to convey over and over again, that the spirit is filling this room. All the people present are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages they've never spoken as the spirit empowers them. And what's fascinating, if, you, if we look down to, um, to the skeptics in verse 13, and they say, uh, they're all drunk on some fresh wine once, the, once these people start speaking in all these different languages. And uh, what's fascinating about this, I always say fascinating. Andrea points that out. I keep saying fascinating. So if I say fascinating a thousand times, just laugh, okay? So I find a lot of things fascinating, apparently. So what's fascinating about this is that they're all speaking in, in languages. I, uh, I told a story on, in the bulletin this week about the first time I ever uh, preached a sermon. Had no idea what I was doing, probably still don't, but I was actually in Nicaragua. So the youth leader at the time was like, oh, hey, Ryan, you want to preach a sermon? I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, okay, well, we're going to go to Nicaragua and you can preach a sermon there. I'm like, uh, okay. So I just said yes because I basically had to. And uh, it was a really great experience, but I'm up there in front of this, uh, you know, really lovely cathedral. I had a translator right next to me, and I would say a word, I'd pause, and then my translator would kind of go, eh, I think I know what he's trying to say, and then he would, like, say it a lot better than I probably did. And what's so interesting about this passage here is that they all live in the Roman Empire. You know, 300 years prior to this story, Alexander the Great has conquered this massive piece of land all the way from Europe to parts of Asia. And everybody would have been somewhat familiar with Greek. Even if you weren't a uh, native uh, Greek-speaking Roman citizen, you would have been able to speak and know Greek. So they could have just as easily spoken Greek to everybody in Everybody would have understood what was going on. Uh, you see, I mean, English is not quite in, in used in that way, but it's become sort of a universal language in that, in that sense. Well, that is kind of what Greek would have been here. So you could have very easily spoken Greek. Everybody would have known. But what happened? God's Spirit speaks to each person in their native tongue 
where they are. God's Spirit comes in, and it is a personal experience. It's taking this uh, story actually has uh, uses symbols and imagery from the story of the Tower of Babel. And if anybody is familiar with this story, uh, you have uh, a group of people who decide to, uh, under one language, build this magnificent city. And what Peter is doing here, in, or what Luke is doing here in telling the story with Peter, is that he is taking and juxtaposing uh, this language for the current modern first century experience. So the Tower of Babel, they try to build up this one city under one language, which goes against the way God wants his people. So before you get to Genesis 11, God says, populate the earth, fill the earth, diversity is good. And what the Tower of Babel story says that one language uh, in the ancient Near East is a metaphor for subjugation and assimilation of cultures, which is not what God wants. So whenever uh, first century Jewish people would have been reading the Tower of Babel, they would have been familiar with this language of subjugation and assimilation. One dominant power thwarting their authority and rule over everyone else so that they could rule over their one language, one currency, one system. So then when we fast forward this story in uh, first century Rome, hasn't Rome done the, essentially the same thing? They have subjugated a people, forced the people to, to know and learn Greek, and what does God's spirit come and do? Diversify. And says, I come to you personally where you're at, where your people are at, where your culture is at, where your ethnicity is at, and God's love is going from this launching point back out to wherever you are from, wherever your culture is, wherever your tribe is. It is unified in its diversity. So we have this place where they are amazed and they are confused all at the same time and they ask, what does this mean? And then we have this fascinating uh, first piece of Peter's sermon starting in uh, verse 14. So 14 through 21 is uh, taken from a passage on Joel. And it's kind of like what we were saying. Like I like to use imagery from TVs, movies, just to give us modern day imagery to somehow connect these stories just a little bit more. And that is what Peter does here on the fly. He has this experience. The spirit feel, 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 fills this place. And they are amazed and confused, and Peter thinks, okay, what does this connect to? What will this group of people? And so verse 14, Peter stands up, and we can walk through this. He stands up, and he says, you know, this is, hear what God says. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the last days, I will offer my spirit. Um, your children will speak boldly. They will see visions. Uh, they will dream dreams. Uh, both looking back at the past of uh, Israel and then also looking forward into what, what will happen in Acts. We've already seen the visions, we've seen the dreams. Uh, my spirit will be uh, offered to all servants, male and female. We've seen such a tremendous female influence so far in the book of Acts where women are starting churches. They're very influential in the early church. Uh, 
in heaven and uh, on earth uh, below, uh, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become a void of darkness, and the moon will become like blood. And this imagery uh, Peter is using uh, probably to, to think back and look back on uh, the death of Jesus. He's tying that in where the clouds cover the darkness on Jesus' crucifixion. He's working all of this, uh, this imagery in. And on that great day, dreadful day, the Lord will arrive, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into God's freedom and peace. So he is taking this old passage from the Old Testament, something that a lot of the people that had gathered in Jerusalem, they were gathered there because they were celebrating the Jewish festival, would have maybe have been familiar with. So this is all language, all terms that they would have been familiar with, and he's now taking it and saying, okay, this is what we just experienced. The wind comes in, the, the tongues of fire have, have spread out, and how can I how can I figure out what this means? And he says that it's open to all. And hasn't that been the message of Acts over and over and over again? God's table is bigger. Uh, God's works are miraculous, and they go, they go to the margins. They're from the riverside. They're where the women meet. Uh, they're up in the upper room uh, grieving over uh, a widow who started an early church. They're always in the unexpected places. And what's really interesting about this uh, Joel passage is that he does a work of interpretation. So whenever he's quoting this passage that we just read, he's already doing the work of interpretation. So he's not just reading something word from word. He is full of the Spirit, taking what he knows from the Scripture and bringing a new meaning into it. So he's not quoting word for word. If you go to Joel uh, and read this, it'll read a little bit differently because there are things like uh, judgment. Uh, Ju- Judea's enemies in Joel are, are judged. And now he's saying the spirit is opening up to everybody. It's, this is a new revelation. Is meeting God is meeting each of us here where we are. So what does this mean? Where do we go from here? If we end our time in Acts, what, what do we do with this? When we leave here and we go in our everyday lives, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, the Spirit comes on, and we believe that the Spirit is somehow here working in each of our lives today. But what, I still feel like we have this nagging, what does this mean, question. Uh, flip back to Acts 1 through or 1-8. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. I think it'll help uh, to frame how Luke views what the Holy Spirit will do. And Luke says, here's the knowledge you need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witness, witnesses first here in Jer- Jerusalem, then beyond to Judea, Judea and Samaria, and finally to the farthest places on earth. So here, Luke 1.8, he's foreshadowing this event that we pick up in chapter 2, foreshadowing all of these events that we've gone, th- gone through over the last five weeks. He is saying the Holy Spirit, when this, when this power, this mysterious uh, power fills you and fills our community, it's not so that it stays here. It, it's so that it goes out. It's always pushing further than probably we're comfortable with pushing. Uh, we are to be guided and to follow the Spirit uh, 
wherever the Spirit leads. We are to be the witnesses. Um, so I, uh, some of you may know, I'm, I, I'm a songwriter. I, li- I love writing songs. And uh, one of my biggest influences when I uh, began writing uh, music, not so much anymore, uh, was a guy named Jason Mraz. And you can all laugh. Uh, fair enough. Uh, but Jason Mraz is, uh, he was a singer-songwriter uh, out of San Diego uh, in the early 2000s. And a lot of his acoustic work, I would just, I would watch videos on YouTube and try to figure out like where his fingers were moving and how I would play and uh, was just really captivated by his acoustic style as I was learning to play the acoustic guitar. And so I learned a lot about Jason Mraz uh, from uh, Mechanicsville, Virginia. Uh, he dropped out of college after his freshman year to move to San Diego. I know way too much information about Jason Mraz. It's unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know Jason Mraz, right? Never, I've never met him. Uh, I've been to several uh, concerts. Uh, I even went to a dance party and danced with his uh, drummer. Uh, that was pretty fun. But I don't, I don't know Jason Mraz. We're not friends. And I, I think when before we leave Acts, we need to be careful not to think of the Spirit in that way. Where we read stories and we know a lot about what the Spirit did and these people. Uh, in the early church, but that the Spirit relates to us. God is meeting us through the Spirit where you are today. It's, it's, a, re- it's a mysterious relationship where people uh, symbolized by this intimidating flame are... Oh, that's super hot. Yeah. Fire is still fire. But people are being filled uh, with a mysterious power uh, that is equated, you know, throughout the book of Acts as strengthening one's relationship with Jesus. The spirit of Jesus uh, carries Paul and Timothy and Silas uh, through Asia and to these parts where they don't even want to go and then over into Europe. It is a relationship. It's not something that they just know about. Because we could meet here and we could talk and we could show maps and we could say, oh, well, we know a lot more information than we did maybe five weeks ago. And that's great. It's, it's good to know, you know, information and things about uh, the cultural context. But on Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit is filling us so that we will have a strengthened relationship with Jesus Christ. It is, it is binding us to something that is more important than just uh, head information, that it is something that guides our lives in love, uh, always going to the person that we might not want to go to, uh, to bring love and grace in a way that we may find it hard to love a certain person. I know you're, you know who you're thinking about. And so before we close today, um, I just want to read a, a verse from Galatians 5, if you want to mark it uh, on your sheet or in your Bible. Uh, Galatians 5.22 um, that maybe would just give us a posture of the Spirit as we leave this place. The Holy Spirit produces a certain kind of fruit. Unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't find any law opposed to fruit like this. And so we've seen throughout 
our time in Acts that the lives of the early disciples were, uh, while confused and amazed, were characterized by these types of fruit, always going out in love, always going out and being uh, gracious, especially for their time and their era, uh, always exercising gentleness and self-control. And even though we find ourselves in, in our daily lives where we don't feel like, oh, okay, I'm just the most kind-hearted person you've ever met, the Spirit is, that is what our relationship that is inside of you is pulling you toward. It's always there, and it's, n- it's never going to leave. So the Spirit is constantly rooting these things and stirring these things within us when we least feel like we can do these grace, kind-heartedness, self-control, peace, patience, all the things that we may find at 4.30 in the afternoon really hard to muster ourselves. So the Spirit-filled life, this is essentially what we're talking about, what it means to be a Spirit-filled person in 2016. 2,000 years after this first Pentecost story that we hear, the Spirit-filled life is not just for a special It is the Christian life. The Spirit-filled life is the Christian life. It affects everything, including how we live in community and how we treat others at home. So this koinonia, as we talked about a few weeks ago, koinonia, community, a community that is united in its diversity, that seeks not to, with authority and power, subjugate other people to, you know, somehow put under, you know, this... uh, Christian rule. We're not going out to subjugate with the faith. We are going out and recognizing diversity and unity under one identity, one identity marker. And that one identity marker is in 2.21 where he says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated from God's freedom. Anyone. That is the new identity marker. It is nothing else. It's not gender. It's not ethnicity. It's not your culture. It's not your family history. It's not how much money you have. It is anyone who calls on Jesus as Lord. And that's, sometimes it's as simple as that. And that's what Peter closes with today. Um, and I think that is our charge today, to live the Spirit-filled life, to know that it is for anyone. It is for everyone. It always goes to the margin. And God meets you where you are right now. So as we wrap up our time in the book of Acts, may we too be full of the Spirit. May we be guided by the Spirit, alert and listening to the Spirit's guidance. May we be surprised by the mysterious Spirit, strengthened in our relationship with Jesus, and consequently those in our communities that we feel may be left out or forgotten. May we be marked daily by the Spirit's radical love and goodness. And may may you remember that God calls each and every one of us into the fullness of this mysterious and wonderful life together. Let's pray. Empowering God, you gave the church your abiding presence, your your Holy Spirit, your movement of the mysterious spirit. So as you look upon uh, Mission Hills Christian Church today, hear our prayers. May your strength strengthen us in our weaknesses. Grant that we may be directed by your Spirit 
and that we may confess Christ as Lord time and time again, that we would find the side of our salvation and the other in the person that we have a hard time loving because we know that that is where you are. And Lord, we pray that you combine our diverse gifts with a singular passion for you and your mission in our world. And may we join you in praise on this Pentecost Sunday. And we are just incredibly grateful to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.